Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this Sunday's podcast is about turnovers, preseason expectations, and the 12-6 and six Detroit Pistons, who are still near the top of the Eastern Conference. First time guest of the pod, Justin Lembrexi and I talk about how Andre Drummond and Avery Bradley are turning the ball over, Reggie Jackson's hero ball at end of games, and how Detroit matches up with the first place Boston Celtics. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on iTunes. It's the best way for us to build up the podcast according to what the fans want. And follow DetroitBadBoys.com, the best place for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and uh, I apologize for missing last week's episode. I had a boys' night, boys' weekend in Detroit with uh, with some high school friends of mine. I had a lot of fun. I, I heard you guys were in good hands with Ben and Jamie. But uh, this week, we've got uh, Justin Lembrexi. Did I get that right? Yes, you got it right. <laughs> yes. All right. Justin's joining me. Uh, How's it going, Justin? Pretty good. Good. So this week was a little bit of a rough one for the Pistons. Uh, There was a win at Mini. There's a comeback win. It's very shocking. And then there's a huge loss at Cleveland. And then there was another last-minute win at OKC. Uh, They're they're now 12-6. and Uh, Justin, what do you think these these three games tell us about the Pistons? I think the uh, Minnesota and OKC wins are more accurate of – what I see about this team, like Cleveland win was basically just a scheduling loss. Like they played three games in four nights leading up to that game. And Cleveland was in Detroit for longer than the Pistons were. So I pretty much counted down as a loss going into that. And obviously I'd rather see the team, you know, go out and beat teams like Minnesota and OKC without needing, uh, you know, a huge comeback into the game. But it's what this team's done all season pretty much how they've made their money all year. While it might be a bit concerning, maybe unsustainable in the long run, I'll take whatever I can at this point. That's true. It's really important to bank wins early in the season, just so you have something to fall back on when the schedule gets tough and the schedule's about to get really tough, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm a little vexed because they keep falling behind by double digits, and that's not not a consistent way that you'd like to to ride to victory, you know? They have the the fourth-best bench net rating in the league, but at the same time, you'd like the starters to play just better and not fall behind by double digits and not rely on the bench to bail them out. Uh, I, you, I mean, ideally, you'd like it to be the opposite, right? The starters to bail out your bench. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I think at some point, I think they will. Like, they're adjusting a bit, obviously, of Avery Bradley, and they are running a brand-new offensive system as well. I think it's just going to take some adjusting to that. But, obviously, for long-term success, if the starters keep struggling like they are, this team's probably not going to keep the current pace at the rat in terms of their wins. Yeah. I agree. And like, that's why I was encouraged when we got the, after the OKC game, we got the note that SVG had kind of challenged Stanley Johnson a little bit. Like, hey, we, we need more from you if you're going to remain a starter. And and to see him respond with, you know, 11 points, three of five from three, a block and a steal. He helped limit Paul George to 16 points on 17 shots. 
that, that that showed me something. That showed me that you know even when he's challenged, he he responds well. And, and you know he he had been hurt, but he's not hurt anymore. At the same time, he needed to be challenged in the first place, and he's still not a productive offensive piece for the Pistons on a consistent basis. So Justin, what what kind of shooting numbers do you think we'll see from Stanley? Honestly, uh, what he's doing now is actually surprising. He's shooting 48% from the field. That's actually kind of surprising. I thought he would be a lot lower than that. But, I mean, 31% from three, I don't really see that changing much just because, I mean, even though he maybe has made some strides at shooting the three ball, I don't really think it's that sustainable. I think he's about what he is at this point. I think he'll, his free throw numbers will probably tick up a little bit. I think, I know in college he was known as a pretty decent free throw shooter. I think that should tick up in the long run. I think about what he's doing now is about what you can expect for him. I, I'd obviously like to see more out of him, but, I mean, he's a low-usage starter. It's not like he needs to be putting up, like, 15 points per game. They have other guys to carry the load. So I kind of like what he's done so far. He's He's been a lot better than I thought he was going to be as a starter. That's true. He does have the lowest usage rate among the starters by quite a bit. But my thing is, if he's going to be such a low-usage starter, he's really got to shoot better from the perimeter. And he, it's not that he's shown that. Uh, anytime earlier in his career but that's something that the offense really needs that spacing and the shots that he can get as a result of the ball movement so he needs to shoot around like 35 percent which would be league average from three and so he's got to bump that up a little bit in my mind in order to for him to you know consistently stay in the starting lineup and you know Stan has said that his defense is what really matters but you know that's what the offense I, I think is what is really weighing this team down with the starting group. I looked at some of the numbers for uh, starting Tobias at the three and Tolliver at the four, and it was very low sample size, but it's still the net rating for that lineup was negative as well. And it's just like, okay, well, he, Stanley, we really need Stanley to start, you know? And so having him shoot better. Yeah, definitely. Even like the long run, if he keeps shooting how he is, they do have Reggie Bullock. I think eventually he's going to get out of his rut that he's in right now with his shooting. And so if Stanley can't figure it out, they can't go that option that option but obviously I'd like to see Stanley at least given the chance to figure it out and maybe gets at least 35% shooting from three yeah I mean Bullock has lost his spot to Kennard in the in the on the bench though like I'm a little surprised by that I don't know if Bullock is going to be the end I know he played while Stanley was out but I don't I don't foresee him you know being the answer at small forward even if uh, Stanley doesn't play well. That's why it's so important that Stanley does play well because it, the team doesn't really have another viable option behind him. Yeah, and I don't see Stan SVG being like ballsy enough to go with uh, Kennard at the three and use like a three guard lineup. I definitely could never see him doing something like that. Yeah, not to start. Definitely not to start. That's way too small a defensive lineup for Stan to feel <laughs> yeah. comfortable starting with. So another guy that we've kind of seen a lot of out of this year is Tobias Harris, but he's cooled off significantly in his last five games. He's shooting 38% from the floor, 30% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. He's only averaging 14 points a game, which is down from about 19, 20-ish that he was averaging early in the season. We knew he would cool off because he was shooting about 50% from three, so (laughs) we knew he wasn't going to shoot that all year. But at the same time, the question for me is, where do you think he finds his level? Is it closer to the 38% he shot when he first got to Detroit? Or is it closer to the 35% he shot for the entirety of last year? I definitely think that 38% is a more accurate uh, where I expect him to be. I've heard a lot about him working on a shot in the offseason. He obviously had the LASIK surgery as well that seemed to help him. And yeah, like I wasn't expecting him to shoot 50% all year. And 
I don't expect him to really shoot 35% again. So I think right around 38, like 38 to 40 is probably where I expect him to settle into. Obviously, he's in a cold stretch now, but I mean, that was ex- to be expected. I mean, there's no way he's going to sustain what he was doing to start off the year. He made, he was making Steph Curry look like a like a poor like a poor shooter with the way he was shooting to start the season off. Yeah, so I think like the 38 to 40 range is probably where I expect him. And I predicted I wrote an article before the season about predicting him to average 20 points per game this year. I still think that's possible. Obviously, he's dropped off a bit over the last few weeks, but I mean, early in the season he was on pace to average about 20. So I think he'll start getting his shooting back up and he'll get right into that about 19 to 20 point per game range. For me, in order to average, this is something I've talked about in previous podcasts, but in order for him to average that 20 points a game, he's got to get to the free throw line a little bit more. Um, and I'd hope he settles at around, you know, 37, 38%. His, uh, he's what, what the big difference I think for him will be is that he's taking a lot more of his threes uh, out of spot ups, not off the dribble. I think the, the vast majority of his threes this year are spot up threes. And so, uh, as long as the Pistons can continue, you know, running the motion offense, getting him solid spot up looks, uh, and he'll continue to hit those, and those will open up driving lanes for him. So I think I think he'll be fine. I think he will settle in at around that thirty eight percent. But at the same time, this is something I'm definitely keeping an eye on because he's never been a thirty eight percent shoot percent from three shooter in his career and so this is a good time to have a jump you mentioned the LASIK surgery that's obviously a big deal but have a having a career year from a guy you can't you can't necessarily expect that so I'm always just you know kind of wary yeah and also yeah you mentioned free throws like yeah like if he does cool off a bit from three he definitely needs to start getting the line I I've always had the mindset where I think he gets kind of robbed a lot in the games in terms of like calls like he but he also doesn't – he's more of like a finesse player. He kind of avoids contact on a lot of shots as well, but he needs to do, do a better job of at least trying to get to the line because, yeah, he is kind of frustrating watching him shoot maybe one, two free throws a game. Yeah, he doesn't – I don't want to say – he doesn't exaggerate contact as much as other players do, but he also doesn't create as much contact. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how I feel about it too. I'm, I'm just going to be on the lookout for that. So this this was a big thing for me, especially when I was rewatching some of the uh, – the film of the Indiana collapse. Uh, the turnovers have been really killing this team uh, on the offensive flow. And really the biggest two culprits of that are Andre Drummond and Avery Bradley. Both two guys who we are exceedingly happy are on this team and playing well, but uh, they're both averaging a career high turnover rate. Andre's at 22%. Avery Bradley's at 15%. Uh, Bradley is first on the team in usage um, and has a 15% turnover rate, which is Really weird because he's not a guy that dribbles the ball all that much in the offense. Um, what do you think these guys can do to limit their turnovers? I mean, I guess the obvious answer is the for Andre Drummond to not run the offense to him. But, I mean, it's worked for the most part this year. I feel like, I mean, he's adjusting to a new role. That's why I can live with his turnovers a bit more. I don't. I really don't understand Avery Bradley. Like, it seems like he just can't catch a basketball. Like, I mean, a lot of the passes he's getting are in traffic as well. Like, when, when he takes the handoff from... Dre or is cutting the basket. He is getting a lot of stuff in traffic, which I think is definitely hurting him. But the easiest solution is just to cut back on their usage. But then that completely changes the whole like scope of the offense and how it's working. Yeah, so I, that's why I, I think it's just something you kind of have to live with. I mean, the team's still winning in spite of that. Obviously, you'd prefer them not to have that happen. But until it starts becoming an issue where we're losing a lot of games because of it, I can't really worry about it too much. But, I mean, that's just how I feel about it. To me, it's really interesting, right? Because with Andre, it's it's a little bit expected because they're putting the ball in his hands so much more. 
Um, you see, he makes he has good reads and he makes decent decisions most of the time. And a lot of his turnovers are a result of him uh, trying to do something that uh, trying to fit a ball through a space, you know, that, that maybe there he shouldn't be or uh, something that he would have more as he gets more experience as a passer you expect some of those turnovers to get cut down on. And then so you could say like right now we're working through a rough patch because he has never really passed the ball like this in his career. And so you expect that to go down. Avery Bradley has been like a consistent sub 10% turnover percentage guy in his career. And now his usage rate has gone up a little bit, but his turnover rate has almost, you know, doubled and he's not making poor decisions. He just seems like he gets careless with the, ball sometimes and i don't i don't know it's just really frustrating because in all other respects you know avery bradley has been a model piston and so but there's this this glaring thing that just keeps popping up you saw it at the end of the milwaukee game right like he got trapped on the baseline of the, out of, on the out of bounds play and turned it over and like killed any yeah. chance they had at winning that game man like i didn't watch tons of avery bradley in boston to like make a huge judgment but i think i mean it seems like he's playing a similar role to what he played in boston it's just he's getting more opportunities to shoot and that's why it's kind of yeah, it's kind of astounding like how much how how much his turnover percentage has increased, playing a similar role to what he was playing in Boston. Yeah, so I think maybe some of the answer to that is uh, taking the ball a little bit out of Avery's hands. Uh, he's so good at those dribble handoffs, but maybe you give some of those uh, slightly more of those dribble handoffs to Tobias, or uh, now that Stanley's back, maybe he can raise his usage rate with the starters just a little. Bit. not a lot because he's still a very inefficient offensive player as we went over before but you, you you'd like to see perhaps other guys who are less turnover prone uh, take over that role in the offense that's not to say i want to see reggie jackson hero ball which uh, worked at the end of the minnesota game uh, never got a chance to in the uh, cleveland game and didn't exactly work in the okc game you shot he shot an air ball three but he made those two free throws. But at the same time, like there's a lot of dribbling and not a lot of not a lot, not a lot happening. That was more a game that OKC lost than uh, the Pistons won. So I, I the it's important to keep the the motion continuing in the offense. But at the same time, you need Avery to, to cut down on the turnovers. So I didn't I didn't write this down. But what do you, what do you think about the Reggie Jackson hero ball? How do you envision that going for the rest of the year? Honestly, um. I don't have as much of a problem with it as other people do. Like, I, I've seen it brought up a lot of, like, game threads and stuff where a lot of times it's just designed, like, when you get to the end of the game, you want to not be turning the ball over and giving the other team easy opportunities. And the easy way to avoid that is just to have one player hold the ball. I mean, it's not ideal because when you especially you have more efficient players around him. But, like, so far this year, I've trusted his decision-making a lot more. He's made the correct passes. Like, like even in the, uh, the OKC game, like, he had two or three passes at the end of the game Avery Bradley in the corner, he just missed a shot. Like, I trust his decision-making a lot more this year to where I've, I'm more fine with it. And there's been plenty of times in the past where he's been the guy who's taken over the game, and it's won us the games. I can't really see it. Like, I don't trust Avery Bradley to, you know, be able to hold the ball and not turn the ball over with how much he's turned the ball over. The only other player I could really see filling Reggie Jackson's role better would be Tobias Harris, but he's not that great at drawing contact and – not as good of a ball handler. I just would. I think. I think what they're doing is working until it isn't working. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Uh, 
I mean, you're right in that, like, philosophically, it's it's good to just run at the end of games, especially if you're winning, just run some clock, and that you have a, a lesser chance of giving the ball up if you try and, uh, you know, run more dribble handoffs or have guys come off screens and things like that. Um, and you're right that, you know, Reggie Jackson is the best foul drawer on the team. He creates contact like nobody else in the starting lineup. Uh, I would still just like to see a little bit more motion and at the end of games uh especially if reggie isn't getting calls which i I hate to rely on like the refereeing to uh, for the outcome of a game and so i'd I'd like to see there be a little bit more ball movement but you're right he has made better decisions and uh especially in in the uh in the okc game every bradley just wasn't hitting shots and some of the decisions he did make would have looked better if had those shots gone in so you're right you're right it's just it's hard for me to we're we're almost 20 games in and i think it's still kind of hard to erase the memory of of last year's reggie jackson not and he's playing much better but at the same time the you see the ball stick in his hands and you just kind of have those flashbacks you're like oh man like i don't want this to happen again like like the uh, <laughs> uh on i guess we can tie this in like the boston game our last year where he he missed that shot with like 20 seconds left on the, he took a three with like 20 seconds left on the shot clock and missed it. And even after the game, Stan was like, you know, if, if he, if that shot goes in, like he, you guys write that he's a hero and the shot doesn't go in and you guys are asking me like, what's wrong with him? Like it's the, he's the same guy. It's just like the shot doesn't go in. And so I'm just, I'm a little, I just have to like work on myself to remember that Reggie is playing well and that I should, I should embrace that. But I guess tying that into to the Pistons' next opponent, um, I'm really intrigued by this Boston matchup. Um, I was tweeting with James Edwards of The Athletic earlier today. Um, the thing I'm most curious about is how the, the bench lineups work out. Um, Terry Rozier and Ish Smith, you know, where does uh, where does Stan try to hide Luke Kennard? Do you try and hide him on like a semi Ojali or somebody who's not really relevant offensively? And how does that cross match work on the other side of the ball? You know, how does uh, how did the Pistons rebound against the Celtics? The Celtics don't really look like a very good rebounding team on paper. Uh, I know. Uh, how do you how do you think this matchup with the Celtics is going to go tomorrow night? I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Like, I think Pistons actually do match up pretty decently. Like, Celtics have a lot of length in their lineup with Jam- they have Jalen Brown at the two, which is obviously going to be a big matchup. But like, I mean. You've heard in the past uh, Kyrie Irving talk about how, how like how many issues he has with Avery Bradley guarding him. So I mean that's gonna be a pretty good matchup to watch. And I, I think uh, Reggie Jackson and Jalen Brown is an obviously an ideal matchup, but I think I think he can handle it. He's definitely been a lot better on defense this year. But I think that might be where where we see like, Jalen Brown could have a big game uh, tomorrow with that matchup. But like I mean in terms of matching up, I think the team matches up pretty well. Uh, I guess it also depends on uh, who they start at center. I know they have been starting Aaron Baines a lot, but if they go with Al Horford at center, that could give Andre Drummond some issues because he does have problems with issues with uh, centers that can shoot. But if he goes, if he goes with Aaron Baines, I mean, he, uh, he's been going in practice the last you know two years, so he should know some of Baines' tendencies and stuff like that. And Boston has always seemed to have problems in the past with uh, containing Andre Drummond like on the glass, because they're, like you said, they're not a great rebounding team. All this year, they've been, actually been pretty good at rebounding, but in years past, they weren't. So I think it's a pretty good matchup. Um, I'm obviously not expecting a win, but I think the Pistons do match up pretty well with them. 
Yeah. See, my my thing is like even you brought up Jalen Brown at the two, and if they cross match and put Reggie Jackson on him, if you turn Jalen Brown into a high usage player for the Celtics, I think that's kind of to your advantage, right? You you take the ball out of Al Horford's hands, you take the ball out of Kyrie Irving's hands, and you know that's a that's a winning strategy. I don't know if the Celtics will go with that, but to me that that seems like something that could work on the Pistons' favor even if they choose to exploit that matchup. I'm also curious about the the center matchup, who they decide to, to start with. Um, I'm more curious how it goes when Eric Moreland's in the game, uh, just to see if, if they bring in, like, uh, if they play, like, a, the Plyce kid, Daniel Plyce. Uh, he can shoot. And so having Moreland be another guy who, can, uh, who can't shoot, but uh, another guy who they can play five out and they're drawing Moreland away from the basket out of his comfort zone, I wonder how that, that matchup will go. Yeah, I, I also don't think we're going to win this game. And the last time I like really thought we weren't going to win a game, it was against uh, Golden State, and we saw how that worked out. But at the same time, but at the same time, like I am very curious because you know this is a possible playoff preview, you know, and so you you want to see how Andre rebounds and you want to see if he can stay out of foul trouble against Al Horford, but you also don't want to see him have issues uh, covering Horford away from the basket, or you want to see maybe if uh, Stan tries something funky like uh, cross matching Tobias onto him. Yeah, they tried that uh, against who did they try that against? Oh, against Minnesota, they had a uh, Tobias covering Cat. I was like, "That's a little weird," but it kind of worked, so I can't really complain. Well, and also the thing to consider is this could actually make the Boban fans quite happy. Is if Baines is coming off the bench, they, they can maybe go with Boban to kind of match up, you know, brute for brute. And I'm not huge on Boban, but I think if he's with Baines, I think that could actually be a pretty good matchup for the Pistons to go to go after with him and finally actually use him. That's a good point, actually. Like, there is literally is no one on Boston who could even like remotely yeah. guard Boban. I don't know if we'd see that matchup, but that that would be interesting to see. Stan's Stan's always so worried about like defensively what what could possibly happen, and so that's why he, you know Boban's not seeing the the light of day, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you're thinking about it. Um, another guy who's not really seeing the light of day is John Luer. Um, He's still out with his ankle injury. This was originally thought to be like a two-week injury, and now it's turned into like a four-week injury, which is uh, not, which is suboptimal. But at the same time, Eric Moreland has played decent in his stead, and the bench has you know gelled really well together. Everyone has a really def- clearly defined role. Galloway comes off the bench and chucks threes. Kennard has played really well. Tolliver is kind of an all-around uh, defender and three and D type of guy. So. I guess my question is, Justin, how 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 fast do you think, when Lure is healthy, Stan should try to integrate him back into that bench lineup that's playing really well without him? Honestly, um, in my opinion, I think they stick with they should stick with Moreland. But knowing how Stan operates, I think he'll be right back as the backup center when he comes back. Just because, like, obviously Moreland's been doing really well or decently on defense, but he's a complete like useless on offense like he can't do anything like if he gets an offensive rebound he's instantly passing the ball out if if you lob it up to him he doesn't really go up and finish it that often and as frustrating as John Lear has been this year when he's at his best he's a far superior offensive player to Eric Moreland and I don't think he's that big of a drop off defensively to where it makes that big of a difference and Stan seems to just love uh John Lear so I think he'll find a way to put him back in the rotation right when he comes back and it could and I think the best spot to put him in is at center just because 
Tyler has been so good at the four that you don't want to disrupt what you have going on there. Yeah, you really, you really can't pull Tolliver out of a spot at the four. I don't know. It's just the last memories Pistons fans have of John Lure is him getting consistently burned by Julius Randle and Kyle Kuzma in that Lakers game yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. So you know that that just those those memories are haunting me, and I'm wondering if that affects how he makes his way back into the rotation. But you're right. Stan's a pretty stubborn coach, and for for better and for worse. And so uh, when it, when his guy returns from injury, I think I think we'll see him definitely. The Pistons next week is at the the games they play will be at Boston, uh, Phoenix at home, thankfully, uh, and then a road back to back at Washington, who doesn't have John Wall, and at Philadelphia. Uh, the Pistons are currently twelve and six. Justin, what do you think their record will be uh, when we podcast next week? I think I'm going to go with a uh, fourteen and eight with a. Uh... Wins over Washington and uh, Phoenix at home. I think they'll have a hard-fought battle with Boston tomorrow, but they're going to ultimately fall. And I don't know what about Philly. I don't. I think they're a bit overrated in terms of like the hype they've gotten, but for whatever reason, we just don't match up well with that team at all. And I think they're going to give us fits, especially when we're playing at Philly. And is it, I don't think it's a back-to-back. It could be. I'm not sure if it's a back-to-back or not. It's a Yeah, they play Philly on the back-to-back. Okay, yeah, then I don't really see any way we can beat Philly on a back, on the road on a back-to-back with just how poorly we match up with them. So I, I'm going to go with 14-8 uh, by the end of this week. All right. Yeah, I like I like those two games as well, especially the at Washington. Washington doesn't have John Wall, and I watched them collapse last night against Portland. They, weren't, they were playing Tim Frazier in crunch time, which is not what I expected. I expected them to run Bradley Beal and uh, at the point with you know, as the nominal point, just the guy who brings the ball yeah. up in crunch time and run you run the offense through him. But no, like they had Tim Frazier on the floor for reasons that like they didn't fully explain. It's like, oh, okay, I guess this is what you guys are going to go with. And so I think the Pistons can really take advantage of that. Um, you could put Avery Bradley on Bradley Beal. Try saying that like five times fast, and then. Uh, and then Stanley on auto, and so Reggie is guarding Tim Frazier, which allows him to conserve energy on D. I won't say, you know, just completely lays about on D, but it's definitely an easier matchup for him than it would be if he was guarding John Wall. And so he has more energy on offense to attack the basket. Uh, Gortat is not the uh, – he's a good rim protector, but he's not the greatest in pick-and-roll coverage. He's a great pick-and-roll scorer, but he's not the greatest in pick-and-roll coverage. And so, yeah, I, th- I think those are the two definite games that the Pistons can win next week. Man, at the beginning of the season, if uh, if I told you the Pistons were looking at 14-8, and eight, like, what would you have thought? I wouldn't – I would have thought you were crazy. Like, I, I'm always – I'm a pretty big optimist when it comes to the Pistons, but, I mean, let's look at their schedule – through like up through November up to like early December, I would have thought there's no way they'd be fourteen and eight. Especially with the wins that they've had, like if anything, they've kind of played down to bad teams and just been great against the good teams, which is definitely not what I would have expected, especially after last season. And another thing I just thought of talking about Washington, like they could be a team to watch out in the East now in terms of like falling off because John Wall had the same procedure as Reggie Jackson had done, and you saw how he wasn't the same after that. And I think Washington could end up taking a huge drop off if John Wall is, goes through the same, you know, poor recovery that Reggie Jackson had after his procedure. Yeah, I agree. I was also kind of uh, curious as to why the Washington they announced he owned, that Wall would only miss two weeks after undergoing that same procedure, and I was like, wow, it took Reggie took Reggie eight weeks to recover, and then when he came back, he was clearly not the same guy. So probably, you know, he could have 
taken another four weeks or something during the middle of the season and maybe looked a lot better. So I'm just surprised on their expectation level for, for what that's going to look like. Uh, I have not watched a lot of the wizards prior to walls injury. Um, I, it's my understanding that, you know, wall has played pretty well this year, but he's also looked a little bit hampered. So yeah, I would definitely be worried about if I was a wizards fan, I would definitely be worried about how my team is going to look in the, in the coming weeks without John wall, just to back up two predictions. Uh, I, pre- I don't, I don't publish these, but I kind of uh, go through the schedule every year and see how many games I think the Pistons are going to win beforehand. At this point, I had the Pistons winning nine games. Nine. And so they're going to win, what, six or maybe five or six more than than I would have predicted, which is crazy. Just a crazy amount of games. All right, Justin, thanks for thanks for joining me. Uh, what's, what's the best way for the people to contact you about your Pistons thoughts? Uh, I'd say on Twitter, uh, at jlambrexy. Um, that's where I'm, I'm most active. Uh, I usually live tweet a lot during the games and give my thoughts out on not just the Pistons, but pretty much any, any sports. I'm really into any kind of like Detroit sports, stuff like that. So I get my thoughts on a lot of different stuff, but yeah, Twitter is definitely the platform I'm the most active on. And if you need to know how to spell my last name, you can just look on my SB Nation profile. It's the easiest way because it's not the easiest last name to pronounce or, uh, spell. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I had to ask you how to pronounce it before we started the show. Don't you? Uh, don't you work in sports? Aren't you like a coach or something? Uh, I'm going into it. I, I'm a sport management major. I'm going my uh, final semester up at school. So yeah, I hope to. I'm being working in sports. Uh, my ideal dream job would be like something like marketing or promotions. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully one day I'm working for the Pistons. But I have to start off somewhere and see where that leads me. Yeah, no, I hope that I hope that works out for you. Uh, I remember my last my last semester was a lot of uh, job hunting, and so I hope that goes really well for you, man. Yeah, that's what I'm starting to do right now. So we'll see where it leads me. Yeah, the uh, and for fans out there, the best place to talk to me about Pistons is uh, on Twitter at Last Chance, um, and you can you know, comment on the Detroit Bad Boys post that this podcast will be contained in. Um, you can shoot me an email. My email is in my Twitter bio. And yeah, uh, I will talk to you guys about Pistons all day long if you let me, to the uh, despair of my wife. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that's that's pretty much it for today. Thanks, Justin, again for coming on, um, and we'll see you guys next week.